Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T, and we're back with episode 65. Well, there's been lots going on lately, and most importantly, one of the things that's pretty awesome that's going on to keep our mind focused on the cool things that are happening is Let's Talk Dubs has found the giveaway bug. That's right. I scored a 63 and a 67 uh, bug this week. We flipped the coin and we decided to build a 67 cow look bug for the Let's Talk Dubs giveaway promo vehicle. So more to come on that bug the next podcast that we put out. I'll have George on here. We'll get into detail of how we're going to build this and maybe I'll put up a poll on letstalkdubs.com about how we want to build that bug. So one lucky listener will get that bug either the end of this year or the beginning of next year but we'll use that bug for a series of videos that we're going to do in regards to projects to uh, do to your Volkswagen and some of the quick and easy restoration things so again this isn't going to be a full-blown restoration this will be your average restoration that we used to do back in the 80s you buy a car decent enough salvage what you can clean it up lower it get the stance on it nice motor trans wheels tires and brakes new interior get a nice build a nice little driver for somebody so that's something you guys have to look forward to and keep an eye out for that while you're keeping an eye out for that make make sure you guys subscribe to our youtube channel because we'll be putting videos out pretty much weekly the video that you'll that we should see over the weekend will be a video of the pre-purchase inspection of the vehicle and some of the things we look at when we're looking to buy a car and some of the pros and cons that we weigh against the value of what we're going to pay for a vehicle hopefully some helpful tips for you guys buying some new vehicles uh, or buying a new project car some of the things to look for. If you like the podcast and you're enjoying it, make sure you guys share the podcast with your friends, post it up on your Facebook. You can recommend us on our Facebook page and let your friends know that are not listening to the podcast. Listen to the podcast. There's uh, 66 episodes now, so plenty of content to listen to. That's about 70 plus hours of VW talk to get into. So on this week's podcast, we've got Nate with Wagons West. I've been looking forward to getting Nate on. He's been doing big things with bus suspension for a long time, and it's a good podcast, a long podcast. And we talk about suspension, philosophy, friends, and the VW scene as a whole. So listen up and let's hear from Nate with Wagons West on Let's Talk Dubs podcast. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the Well, guys, on today's podcast, I've got a special guest that I've been trying to get on for a little bit. Uh, my brother's worked with him for a ton. I've got some of his parts on my bus, and he's been at the forefront of a lot of bus suspension for quite a few years. And so on today's show, I want to welcome Nate Curtis with Wagons West out of Salem, Oregon. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Uh, I'm excited to have you on uh, because of the things that you've been doing in uh in the lowered suspension arena and for how long you've been doing it and more importantly i think is because of the quality of the product you've been putting out and also you've been way out there on the forefront and there's got to be a great story behind this and where we usually start with all of this is your your vw story and how you got in a volkswagen so nate what's your vw story oh uh, well it's probably it's a lot like quite a few people my age you know the probably were the last uh middle age now so the last generation uh of uh, kids that grew up in volkswagen air cooled cars yeah and and so when i was a kid and uh my father was a harley davidson mechanic at uh long beach and then like laid law harley davidson 
and he he bought a 1970 bus from his brother that, that he bought it brand new and so he met my mom he was driving that bus every day home from work from the harley shop and uh they met and there's there's a chance that that might have been my beginning was actually in the bus yeah yeah there's a small chance nice that, and and we had that thing around for a long time and so you know harley davidson drag racing and uh, he used to play with uh all the old time hot rod guys like ed roth and he worked with joe smith who was a harley dragster kind of world famous guy that had the double engine sportsters and yeah stuff like that and the volkswagens were right alongside it was like the same thing almost it was like that was our car and the harley davidson was the was the bike and so it started there in Southern California. I remember it was just like ubiquitous. They were everywhere. And what was your first Volkswagen that you bought? Oh, uh, my father, he bought a wrecked Beetle 66 down in, in like 1980 or something. Mm -hmm. And he had given it to his mom for real cheap. And she, she actually came out West after World War II when my grandpa died. And they all settled in Los Angeles and she raised three boys and, uh, so she had that car, drove it when I was a kid, I remember, and he had pounded some dance out, bought it, wrecked, actually. And so I thought first memories of sitting in the back of a Beetle going down the highway, we're in that car. And actually, that car in, in 89, I was in Oakland, that's where my grandmother lived, and we drove that car on the 80 freeway the day before the earthquake. Really? In 89, I think it was and it was that big Oakland earthquake. Yeah. And and then years later she uh she gave that car to me. And I uh because I came out of Ontario, the last place I lived down there, I was hanging out with a lot of lowrider guys and I had to slam the beetle. Right. So had to slam it and figured it out, but then I needed a bus. For some reason I was super attracted and when we moved to Oregon in the nineties. There was a lot of buses up here. So when you when you slammed your first bug, your first bug when you slammed it, did you, I mean, like most VW kids that are a little on the cheap, did you knock out the torsion leaves or did you cut and weld the adjusters and all that stuff? Yeah, well, I bought, you know, I bought a pack of adjusters. I, I don't even remember whose they came from. They were just those like that old style uh, screw adjuster that you see like empty cells. Yeah. The, stuff. the, the select drop where it's one, one threaded bolt goes through both of them or the two individuals. Uh, no, that's like the drop. The, uh, I don't know what they're called, but you know, they, they're, they're just the, the adjustable a block on a bolt, yeah. block on a bolt with a, re, with a retaining, with a pressure, you know, screw. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty safe adjuster. You kind of, one, yeah, all, everybody pretty much welded those in. A lot of selected drops. I remember seeing those all over the place. I, I never liked that front end at all. <laughs> they rode a little bit stiff, but it got the car low. It did. It was total uh, mayhem, though, like just the design. You get into buses. You're attracted to buses. What's your first bus that you score? Oh, my first bus was like a 62 uh, split window, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a split window, but a 62 what model was that. It was like a camper. Like, like a combo. And a West Folly. And a 67 West Folly. I got them in a package deal. Nice. Yeah. And I ended up trading like a 70 West Folly for them that I bought from my neighbors who like their clutch went out. You know, they were going on vacation. They went uphill and the clutch went out like it does. Yeah. And, and they were like, we're done. I'm not driving this anymore. No more. So I, I got it for like 
I've had enough. This thing's garbage. And I'm like, whatever. The top pops up. That's really cool. I'll buy it. So yeah. I got that for like 200 bucks and I put a clutch and drove it out to this VW shop. Actually up here in Oregon. This is when I first got to Oregon because I moved up here when I was a teenager on the Inland Empire. So I wasn't really driving a lot down there, but I, I my first car down there was like a 52 Ford. You no, know, we were hot rodding it out, pounding all the dance out and stuff. But yeah, when I came up here, it was different. Like well, you could find these buses in the bushes. There was actually quite a few and they were sometimes much as free. So really up up there in Oregon, like it hadn't caught on like in Southern California. Yeah, they came in from Seattle and they came out of the Bay Area. They, in like some of the 60s, a lot of hippies migrated north in them. And so, yeah, I lowered, I was like 20 years old and fabricated lowering suspension on one. I got this thing and I slammed it and everybody was like, what the? Everybody knew what they were doing about, you know, you couldn't get anything. There wasn't really anything you could get. Right, wasn't a lot of people doing doing some stuff. And you're talking early 90s, like lowering the buses. Everybody was like, lower a bus, why? You know? Why would you lower a bus and who cares about a bus? <laughs> right. But I, like, who cares? The, That's so stupid. What a stupid car. Yeah, the, the, the conversation yeah. I've had with people before is like back in the 90s, it was like all the cool guys were, were were bug guys. And then the guys that had buses were always a little bit different. Like there was like. I got made fun of for it. Yeah. <laughs> And then the internet, like, so I'm an early, I'm a computer kid. Like, so I was born in 76. I was born when the Apple II was developed. Yeah. And so my whole life I was around like computers and like mechanical tech, right? So doing all that. But so with early internet, I was like, I remember being on VW Planet and being on like these uh, type two forums and stuff like that. And they were like super grassroots. And I started selling like my buses and like lowering stuff. I started building like in the 90s just for fun yeah and nobody really knew what was going to happen in 2000 2000 the aughts the, when the internet took off and the rest of the world saw that we had all these like super high grade german built buses right the bus market went nuts it oh. was like oh yeah it just i couldn't believe it and so we were still able to get them they were rusty but we would get them out of the bushes up here yeah so and so how do you uh, what's the big difference you see between because obviously living in southern california you said in ontario you were kind of in the low rider scene and then because of your your kind of roots you've got this because your family is connected to vw's you've got this longing towards volkswagens how do you equate the two different scenes like what's the different vibe between like uh pacific northwest and southern california well what's funny is like i never wanted to leave southern california but it was right during the LA riots uh, when my dad decided to pull out and we'd sure. been to Oregon. We'd seen Oregon in a Harley Davidson sidecar in the eighties when I was a little kid. And he knew that in, you know, we were all Southern California boys through and through. And he, he was like a star football player, could have went in the NFL. Yeah. And instead, you know, he went to Vietnam and then he came back and he uh, did all that. And so the scene, it's funny because, like, I actually, like, give credit to God because, like, I wanted to stay down there. But my dad was like, we're moving after the riots, right. basically. Because I had to, like, hang out with some pretty rough kids just to keep from getting beat down and, and shot. Like, it was, I don't know, well, it, it was rough. So the scene is mostly, it's what's cool is that I was able to start making these parts right when the Internet came around. And so a lot of my friendships relationships are in Southern California. Yeah. And and I had the scene up here was really there in this area is actually German kids. Uh really to, 
Yeah, there was a lot of German kids here in the farm area that came over from Germany. They have an Oktoberfest up here that's like full-fledged German celebration. Huh. And and so some of my local buddies here were really, really into it. And that was helpful because I pretty much locked myself in a shop for 20 years. Yeah. And I, I would go hang out with these guys and they'd give me some inspiration and, and stuff. But it was like I was – it's like I've been – Pulled, it was like I was pulled out of my natural environment and put in this place where it was really kind of, there's nothing really here in that regard, actually. Yeah, that, and that's the interesting part. So my question is, did you, so, so were you already a welder and had machinist capabilities and had a desire to do that stuff and you coupled it with your hobby or did your hobby push your career? Like which, which, which one pushed it? Yeah, so I started welding when I was 11. Really? And I used to work. Yeah, I used to work at ESC Enterprises in Ontario where my dad worked, and that's where Ed Roth or Big Daddy Roth would come and do pinstriping on hot rods on the weekends or during the week sometimes. So I started making car parts down there, and like I saw my first welded spindles on like a Corvette down there when I was a kid, and I was like, how does that even work? And then I realized, you know, there's different alloys and forging, and yeah, I understand metallurgy a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, so I already liked building parts. I made my first electric car when I was like 10 or 11 years old, too. Like, it was out of a Cushman scooter, and it could only go as far as the extension cord was long. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Retro. You so, were cool before it was cool. Yeah, I was like, I got to make this work. I remember my dad just sitting there scratching his head, you know. And uh, But I got it to go down the driveway. So yeah, it was. I've always loved cars. The thing about Volkswagens is the way that there's no other car like them, and the bus in particular is like this weird. It's a weird like 356 kind of like like worker. It was built for the factory originally to haul stuff. Yeah. And so the design work that went into it after Barn Door, because Barn Door is so cool looking, but it's garbage. Like, right, like the it's, suspension's it's... junk. It's as primitive as it gets, you know? Super primitive. It is. But when they switched in 55, it is like a work of art. The suspension, the whole thing, like just the front Zenos, the sex appeal of the shape, you know, the capacity. Um, you know, if the world was a perfect place, I'd love to think a bus would still have its place as a vehicle. Right. You know? Well, I mean, for a lot of us, it does. And and what's interesting is, I think all of us, you know, I'm 47. Uh, you're in your you're in your 40s as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. I think our generation is like this generation of adults that there there was the generation before us, which was like they put away the kid things because it was time to move on, and we've taken those kid things and evolved them into like this is what we're into. You know what I mean? And and yeah. and we've taken the things from our youth and have made them have done more than like we got a job, joined the workforce, and then later when we retired, dipped back and bought the fifty-five Chevy. Like we're like, no, I'm not getting rid of the bug. I'm not getting rid of the bus. Yeah. And and I'm gonna drive them a lot. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I look back at like when we were coming up in the car shows that were like all the old retired guys that had the 55 Chevys and all that kind of stuff. And they, it was their time in life to have that stuff. And I think our generation was like, we're taking it with us. 
Like we're not, you know what I mean? And so my kid, like my kids, for example, all they know is like when, when it's a family outing, we load it up in the bus, you know what I mean? In this, yeah. in, in this 35, 40 year old vehicle at the time when my kids were little, I mean, I've got going out to the, the, the point Reyes in Sacramento, I've got video, like super grainy video of like my 14 year old in the front seat in a baby, in a baby bucket. And I'm just whipping through the the curves out there going to the lighthouse and thinking, man, these guys to them, it's not like this super cool, rare, exotic thing. That's just dad's car. Like that, the, a bus exactly. is like, everybody should, ha- you guys don't have a bus. Oh, that's weird. Cause you know, so my kids, our kids have grown up with that being part of our our regular transportation it's just part of a lifestyle and i think maybe you know with skateboarding and bmx and all these things that were really integrated in our lifestyle our car hobby has continued to evolve with our lifestyles instead of like us leaving it which is oh yeah you know so i'd like to see i'd like to see every single one that was ever produced still on the road and i think i think up ahead um with electric cars becoming lighter and technology like that like you know you got ev west down there putting uh michael's you know doing some cool electric conversions with tesla motors and batteries and i've really been contemplating it and talking to jehu garcia with his stuff and uh we pass ideas back and forth and i like man that's it's really cool i I think that you know especially now when you're seeing a downturn in the economy and and we really overproduce in this country and, and we are creating kind of a mess for ourselves because we we consume at, at at the rate of a of basically like a uh, uh, you know You're like three times the family like we we, we I don't know it's just insane <laughs> well yeah you think about when you were a kid you guys had that same console TV for fifteen years yeah and there was a TV repairman you know what I mean now the TV breaks. And, well, and they're and 200 a, bucks. Like, yeah. It's it, actually, it's actually more expensive. If you do repair. the calc on it, it's more expensive <laughs> to have it in the garbage. Absolutely. So like, it's, it's become this world of like technology and all these things. Like when you try to tell your kids, like we just have to get up to change the channel. Like you'd have to get up. And then one of the kids would be like, all right, you got to stand up there and turn the channel. We'll tell you when to stop. But it, it part of that technology and that evolution of the technology gives us gratitude for those things that we had that are a little more antiquated, a little more simple. I think our generation and that the next generation, unless there are kids and, they, and we've kind of like your dad did with you, you, he drug you along and you ended up liking it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Or like I had no choice. <laughs> right. Like that's, how, <laughs> that's how my kids are like, why are we taking the stupid bus? This is so dumb. Like, why don't we take the car mom has? It's got air conditioning. I'm like, cause we're going in the bus. Like it's cold. We're like, we'll go see the lights for Christmas and I'll, and I'll, Oh yeah. We'd show up. Yeah. Like, and so my kids are like, it's freezing. I'm like, get a blanket, put a blanket on. We'll get some hot chocolate and we'll, we'll cruise out right. there. And, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where like my oldest son now who's 20, he's like, He's all all in love, just got back from serving a mission, and he comes back, and he's got a 78 Datsun 620 in the driveway. I'm like, that's that's your car. Like, you can work that out. You know what I mean? And he's like, and he's loving it. He's like, oh, man, I can do this, and I can do this. And I think there's there's something about, like, watching your dad create things, and then you're able to start creating things and and building things and working on things. And and that's what what kind of drives the passion, And, and there's... 
I think in the future, you're going to see a huge separation between like the kids that can do things and the kids that can't because. Of, oh, absolutely. Now it's like, you know, like my kids, I got, a, I got my kids like working with Arduino <laughs> chips and stuff like that. And like, I'm like, dude, you got to keep your mind working. Like, and I te- I'm teaching them to weld and stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, get back to your question about like where, you know, like, did it, was it because of where I was raised? Yeah, it was probably because like the sound of the motor. And my buddy, when I moved up here, I met a good friend. He's a dreadlocked, like, uh, punk rocker. So I hung out with a lot of punks. I was a skate, you know, I had skateboarding up here and stuff like that. I hung out with, uh, essays down in California a lot of times with lowriders and stuff and lowrider bikes. And then right. up here, I was like, more hanging out with, like, a lot of punks. There was a lot of, actually, it's funny is I got in and I started learning about all, you know, the stuff now where they have the, um, with protesters in the streets, the Occupy people. Right. So I hung out with a lot of those guys and it was actually like, I hung out with like Ken Kesey and these crazy like hippie guys that were up here in Eugene at the country fair and like this weird glass blowing scene that I, I like, it was, in, it was insane. I, I didn't know that Jerry Garcia's wife lived in there in that town. So there, there was all these weird like sixties radicals uh, hanging out around Salem and yeah. um, that, that whole thing with the Volkswagen thing was, well, you know, my buddy loaded me up. He took me across the country with five guys. Uh, we went on a dead tour. The last year of the dead was uh, Jerry Garcia was alive. Yeah. And I like something about like, I think after that, it was like sealed. I was like, I, they, they were like, you know, Volkswagens get in the car. <laughs> and we took off in this 79 scalloped, you know, bus that was leaking oil, some two shit, two bit mechanic put the motor in, you know, right. and took us for a ride. So we're like guzzling oil every stop. And I just remember laying in that bus for a month driving from here to New York and uh, listening to the motor going, oh, my gosh, we're going to blow up. Yeah. You know, this is going to blow up like you got you got to <laughs> slow down, Neil. And, <laughs> and I, I was like, what would my dad do? He was a mechanic. I remember yeah. we broke down all the time as kids on yeah. anything we drove, you know, you drove on old trucks and Paula's and anything that you could get for nothing and fix up. It had to be classic though. It, you know, something cool. Yeah. But and- yeah. So after that, I think after that, I was like, you know what? I just think these things are awesome. And, and, uh, I've had one around ever since pretty much. Yeah. It's, and so the, the machining aspect of things, cause as we see in the hobby, there's lots of people that, Everybody thinks you can grab a welder and become a welder. You know what I mean? Like, uh, even I did it once. You know, I narrowed on my carbon cab, I narrowed the rear torsion housings. And my brother, George, who you know and work with at the wagon, George came over. So my hot rod buddy next door, I barred his welder. I cut I cut the rear torsion housings and I, I laid out some pretty sweet caterpillars. And my brother came over and he's like, bro, don't ever pick up a welder again. And and oh. so the, the funny part is like, Anybody can weld just like anybody can build a motor. Can you build a motor that'll last or can you build a weld that'll hold? And can you right. can, can you do all these things? And one of the things that's kept you going is is your ability to do such a high-quality job in regards to like uh, – because, you know, you see a lot of this business kind of starts backyardish. And yeah, then, absolutely. And, and then it goes two directions. It either stays super backyard – or a guy takes it to another level, like CAD drawings and and CNC plasmas and like you know what I mean. Which it seems the direction that you've gone and you've really kind of upped your game versus like building the same old stuff. I was taught like I was taught to draw my stuff out and 
and you first you had proof of concept like if you're if it's not gonna work and you can determine that by math and physics then why start like you know so you figure out like you figure out an idea and you go well is it physically possible and you do the math on it and then if it is then you do it right and right. sometimes you have to sometimes you have to learn the hard way that it's uh not that's it that's it man they're out there essential delivering the stuff we need yeah and i i was thinking about the the front line of it because you know we're we're automotive and we're manufacturing too so like my buddies are like dude you are essential i go man oh yeah actually and- i am i mean because we've been making breaks for a lot of people for a long time. Correct. Yeah, and people need breaks, and a lot of people, if they're going to do the breaks, it's like, do they restore the brake setup or just do new brakes, new updated brakes? That it's it's funny. You you look at drums, like right? drums with a forty horse motor, and you wear out brakes every twenty thousand or something like that. And then you take like my bus that's been on the road eighteen years, the Bull Run bus, and that thing has the same brake pads for the, <laughs> for the last 18 years because they were designed for a 944. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, absolutely overkill is the only way. Right. It's like, it's yeah. like way overkill. And, uh, and, and that the, what the modifications that we do, it actually makes the vehicle last longer and perform better in a classic chassis. You know what I mean? So it's like, like you were talking about with the electric, you were going to the point of like electric conversions. I, I agree. I think, and we, we had Michael on the podcast, Michael Breen with uh, EV West. And we talked about it and he talked about as the evolution of the batteries continues to go, the motor stays the same. And once you do that motor and get that battery to get so much efficiency, he says, you know, you'll see cars in the, in the near future within the next 10 years with, you know, capabilities of a thousand mile range. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's like, yeah, it's kind of scary though because because the energy density is so much. You're like, oh my gosh, you got like an atomic bomb in your <laughs> belly of your car. Right, right. You so. know, that's a lot of juice held in a small area. So I understand that. Yeah, that's it's exciting. I mean, the electric stuff's cool. I mean, the gas motor though, like the Volkswagen is synonymous with the motor that you know, and that you were talking about like technology and building the car or building the parts that we do and writing it down or you know it, it all starts with writing it down i just took notes yeah and ended up taking notes for the last two decades and i did it in a computer with cad and all that so every time we built something we just refined it you know you know what i what i've been thinking about lately a lot is that our generation and and not that i'm partial to our generation but i kind of am but our generation is the straddle generation. So we were we were there for the for the rotary dial phones. Yeah. And and now we're here to the cutting edge of technology. And, and the difference I think that makes is we were we were on that generation that started with no cell phone, had the cell phone, have watched all the technology take place. And so we have a little bit of understanding to like, yeah, it breaks, got to be resourceful. It used to be worse and moving on to where most people now today that don't have right. that, that past history when the technology well, we responsibility. Well, when the technology breaks, remind the kids that, that there is there is a different way to do things. It's no. not always with your phone. It's not always with your machine. Like I live every day with basically robots and CNC machines and computer programs and phones and all that. Every day I live my life like that. Like I, I'm plugged in all the time building things with computers, but 
you know, you take a, a, an opportunity like this coronavirus, you know, where you have to stop. Yeah. Like we all physically stopped and you need to look around and you go, wait a second. There is a whole nother way to live uh, because we've been so wrapped up. I mean, 20, 30 years of technology acceleration and we find ourselves not talking to people. Yeah. And but, I think we're really realizing it. But well, but that's twofold, though, because we can find ourselves not talking to people or over communicating like today. You're talking to 10 times as many people. The reason you can't, yeah. the reason you can't stop and answer the phone during the day is because 20 people want to talk to you. And the expectation is I want to talk to Nate and I want to talk to him now. Right. You, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Instantly available. I've recently like I used to take most like 90 percent of all my calls. And recently I've been giving them off to people that can, you know, kindly take, you know, a, a message basically. And and boil it down because I I found that I wasn't able to get the work done I need to get done and a lot of people don't know it or maybe they don't realize it but we're like a studio I mean we essentially like craft these parts sure, uh, sure. It used to be we were more uh, assembly you know I tried to make it more assembly line manufacturing to put out r like really high numbers and for a while we did and then I, what I realized is that uh in the life cycle of a car and a, and a hobby and you were saying like mopar uh, chevys and all the other hot rods that were out there you know that our parents used to fix up they had their moment well volkswagen buses has definitely had a moment yeah. for the past 20 years you know and so it's just changed and now yeah there's so many people that want to talk and and you just want to you want to get some work done and a lot of it if you want to do a really good job it's deep work and you have to get into it. You got to really dive in. Well, and it's kind of your own fault. You know why? Because you come up with too many options, and you're and you continue like what you're doing today is night and day different from what you were doing when you started. In regards, oh yeah. Well, when I started, it was an angle grinder and a welder, you know, and and a bandsaw. I mean, it was. And right. I was like, I didn't have any money. I was a kid, you know. I well, but now the like, technology is like. Here's the difference with technology. One man is able to produce more than five guys would in an antiquated method because when you plasma cut your side plates, you can hit a button and plasma cut ten at a time, instead of yeah, like on the bandsaw with a template. And when you live in virtual reality, like I live, I live like if I <laughs> if I'm developing a, a system, you know, I have the whole suspension to the bus in 3D CAD, so I can go in that like a video game and build my car in there, build my suspension if I want to modify it. And so all the proof is right there, uh, for the most part. Yeah. And that right there is it's like accelerates it extremely because uh, in ten minutes you've drawn like some plate that would take you thirty minutes to cut out, and then it was cut wrong, you know, because you didn't know it was going to fit. But now it all fits in a three D model, and so if you keep building on that, it's it's basically like Gordon Moore, and like we if you if you administer the technology, you get this exponential ability but it, it, the future is amazing because what's actually going to happen is like all of the I, and i wish it guys knew it but all of our hobby with the volkswagen industry all of, i'm talking everybody you talk like yeah. the makes the myers makes and all the different guys that have contributed different stuff motor stuff and you know like russell and berg and there's just so many names come to mind all that information like is going to go forward at some level in a digital format uh as recorded in history and we'll just sooner or later it'll be there in models and and different things and, and some of it will get lost but i'm hoping that the bus suspension will be 
like it would be nice if someone could take I could take it take all the data that I've put into the computer with all the suspension, all the drawings and stuff, and you could actually just build your bus suspension on a computer game for fun. Right. Be like, I'm gonna bag this bus. I wanna use this. You right. know, and that and so at some point we're gonna be there as a society where hobby is gonna be fifty percent or in the shop fifty percent on your computer. Well, and so back to back to you on your design end, right? So because and, and you're kind of a hybrid guy in the machining part of things because there's also a split in the machining world. Like there's guys that like they can work in old school lathe and mill like nobody's business. They want nothing to do with a CNC. They draw everything by pencil and ruler and, and compass. And, and there's guys like you. Again, this is part of the straddle generation that you've straddled the technology. Like it was from yeah. antiquated to new technology. And now if you can go online and, and proof your stuff – what you're doing is accelerating the R and D time and and looking at it in in a virtual systematic setup and seeing like this works instead of watching a guy cut apart, try to fit it. Nope, I needed an inch longer, recut it again. You know, like well, like uh, kids, kids nowadays, like my kids, I'm watching them and stuff, and we get lots of computer time, so it's super easy to learn the basics of computing, programming, stuff like that. Like that is available. Yeah. Um. It's the physical world that we need to create more places for kids to be. So like you're talking about with Volkswagens and your shop and your garage, and it all starts with simple tools. But to understand how the physical world is shaped and uh, manipulated, that's mm-hmm. really important. Because then once you understand that, then you can apply that with technology. So like if you know that, that steel has to be so hot and to do a certain shape and mold or cut with certain kind of materials like cutters, carbide cutters and things like that. If you know about how the tools work then gelling the two together, that's why I do feel really fortunate because I've known a lot of manual machinists and I was originally taught on manual machines. Right. And, but then that's boring for a kid that grew up playing video games. Sure. You know, as yeah, simple you, as they were in the eighties, I still, you want to make the DOS robot, my video game. Yeah. You want to make the robot do it. Like even though it might take you three hours or three days to make an electric scooter for a 30 second ride down the driveway. You just want to see it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, well, and then you can replicate right. the, the thing is I'll spend a week on a programming apart yeah. and making all the different tools that hold that piece in a machine or fixtures or whatever it is. I'll spend a lot of hours doing that. And you're just hoping that it's right. Because in the end, it's going to be glorious. You're like, oh my gosh, it's all set up, you know. So the so yeah. I won't sell one of these for another year, but when I do, when I, I do, it'll take me three minutes to make it. Like I spent. Yeah, I had one guy come in here, and he's like, he races Vanagons, you know. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I need this rear hub machine for Porsche, and I'm like, oh, I think I have something on that actually. <laughs> I was like, let me look. And of course, I'm just not thinking about it because I put it out of my head as soon right. as I'm done. I have to put it out of my head because I have so many other things I want to do. So I, when I forget about it, and I, I don't know why I forgot about it. I do it all the time, this part. He comes in, and, you know, we look it up on the on the machine, and it says Porsche Vanagon. <laughs> we, put it, <laughs> we put it in the machine, and we're like, hey, that's awesome, man. I can't believe that. I have yeah. that. What are the you odds? Know, so, what are the odds of that? And so he's been back multiple times. And so that brings me to to the question of 
with the technology that you have and the evolution of, of where, where this all started. Cause I remember some of the early stuff when I was on the internet, I was seeing a lot of stuff that Franklin was doing, right? Franklin up in, uh, up in Washington right. and he was doing, yeah. you know, ball joint arms and some stuff like this. And, you know, I used to go to his website cause he had like slam Euro look buses. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going here. Cause this guy's, you know, and that's back when I was, yeah. when I was building the bull run bus and the evolution with buses started with like they finally made adjusters for bus beams, and then somebody somebody figured out oh flip the spindles and then remachine the tie rod ends, yeah. and then and then it evolved from there to there to there. Well, do you want to know? I could tell you where it all started. Yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for where it actually started. Yeah, well, and there's other people that did stuff, but it really we have to place most of the blame on steve phillips from wolfgang yeah yeah he was the one making he, buses you cool know, he worked at bus boys yeah and he created most of what bus boys had and that relationship fell apart and then he uh he had to leave bus boys the owner and him fell, you know that fell out and so they kept a lot of the designs that steve had come up with he's very smart in that way and i i take inspiration from that although i've never copied a thing he's made because i find it more fun to make it yourself but and better but yeah he came up with a lot of that stuff flip spindles is if you ask i mean my humble opinion it is designed by the factory to allow you to get rid of the reduction gears it's a hack that they won't admit to because it is inferior to a welded or a true drop spindle right but it's a total hack they can do at home that's why we show people how to do it on the website right you know and and with the evolution, the evolution started with like keep your bus, slam your bus, and then it was like okay, we've slammed the bus, it rides like trash. How do we get it to ride better? And then right. the technology goes from okay, you've got these junk drum brakes on here that all you cared about was slamming it, and you're stopping the car with the steering box. Now we're going to upgrade the brakes, so they start with. I mean, we started with like. 944 that's where i met russell you know i met russell at pomona swap meet yeah and ended up getting the the disc brake the 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 pieces to modify a junkyard disc brake kit onto my bull run bus and yeah the, you know that's where i first met russell and then that technology goes there and then you go from the disc brakes to then you start going irs which used to be sacrilegious but now it's like if i'm going to drive my bus every day I yeah, want you have it to, to. I want it to be comfortable. That's modern suspension, yeah. Right, and so where did where where did you take the leap with with airbags? Like, and and what's your what's your personal flavor? I know that you. I think you sold your bus to Elliot, right? Um, the uh, well, I've had many. I've like the, the fifty five. So I think but, it was a fifty five. But fifty five, yeah, that was just a static drop narrowed. I think what has been really neat is that when I jumped in, there was nothing. You can buy anything. You can right. buy flip spindles. You buy flip spindles. You could buy boomerangs from uh, bus boys to lower back of bay windows. You couldn't get drop spindles anywhere except for uh, Wolfgang and their three and a half flips. There was no narrow beams, and the IRS kits they were okay. Uh, they weren't that great. They're okay, and so there was really limited supply. And so I fabricated the first ones I did. You know, I did welded spindles because that's what you do. Like as a sure. kid, I saw welded spindles in the hot rod world mm -hmm. in Southern California. Yeah, it was common. And place. the reason why you can do a welded spindle is because all the old car spindles are forged with a really high grade alloy. And the newer car spindles are cast, so you can't do anything with those. But the welded spindle is the first drop spindle I ever made was a welded spindle, and um, everybody else started doing the flips. Now, the, 
the air beam was like there was the narrowed beam is where it started and and there was like probably three four guys on the west coast that really got the idea like i want to narrow the beam and really went for it and and i have to i have to admit like i'm not the first guy although i think i'm the first really producing quantity and it was it was russell me and franklin yeah and then uh it was Jason at the Rust Box and down there in uh, Vesalia and in the butcher shop. So, like, there was a handful of five or six guys that were like, oh, yeah, we got a narrow bus beam. And so we all did. I remember one time I was at the at the swap meet in Woodburn, and um, Franklin was there. And he comes up to me, and I had a narrow bus beam there. And I had made my own adjusters out of flywheel teeth <laughs> uh, on a Chevrolet. <laughs> nice. And he bent over and he looks at him. He goes, "Oh, cool! I was looking for adjusters to make." <laughs> and then I'm down at Russell's at Old Speed, and I'm like, "Hey, buddy, what's, you know?" Because me and Russell are buddies. Like, I right. just love that guy, and we share stuff all the time, back and forth ideas. He's an original, and I love originals. So I'm down there, and I'm looking. I go, "That looks like that's a narrowed beam. That's not my beam, but those are sort of looking like my adjusters." It was a Franklin. And I saw like his rendition of my adjuster. So it was fun to watch all this stuff evolve. Now the air beam itself, like it was everybody, like, I think it was KCW, uh-huh. John Jones. Yeah. And everybody was like bags inside the frame rail. And I'm just going to go ahead and give that credit to, uh, creative engineering. Oh, CE up in, in England. Palmer. I think his last name's Palmer. Uh huh. And I've never, I had never seen one of his front ends, but I heard the idea of the airbags in between the frame rails, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I had put airbags on the outside of the frame rails, and I wasn't really happy with the placement. So it was really creative engineering the idea for the bags inside the frame rails. But then it was my idea for the four link, so that it the bag didn't flop around. I made a a four link system that made it so that it it just operated smooth and had longevity, and you could use bolt your springs in it so it doesn't break you know right, right. that's important that it doesn't break well yeah i saw I, I it was it was interesting because there was that time where because you had what's what's what spurred i think the really kicked off the bus narrowing beam and i'm trying to narrow it down who because i know it had to start in the drag racing world who narrowed the first bug beam and those were right. they probably went to the jt beams just did a narrowed one no one thought well, about probably it. the v cars the v racers or whatever Right, and, and but, but what I'm saying is the evolution of that, and then it's funny because as kids building cars and trying to lower them, like your my my bug that I got rid of in '91, it had 16 inch uh, or 15 by six phone dials in the front, and the yeah. offset on the phone dials I went with because they didn't have a narrowed beam, and it was like a front wheel drive offset, and I had one of the first sets of lowered spindles, but they had a welded plate, and so it added to the track and they didn't it, narrowed beams were like not a thing yet like in 90 91 and then yeah. and it was like i did that and the next thing you know and i all i wanted was a wide tire in the front and i didn't want to stick out of the of the fender well and then once everyone got hold of the narrowed beam it was like oh duh like just cut those well, things the off bug, <laughs> you know what the I mean? bug like, you can get by with because you got fender well yeah you know like you can actually do pretty good but the bus the way they designed it, they designed the suspension wide. They designed the wheels to have more of a Porsche offset. They're negative offset. Right. So the front end and the rear end is really wide. So 
there's no way around it. Like when I started building narrowed beams, I had no idea how many people wanted them. Well, you know, and what, they they were ragtag. I remember it took me like three weeks to build my first narrowed beam. I made it needle bearing, you know. Yeah. And so like buses, like if you want to lower a bus and give it that that West Coast look, which is you know what's cool is that we made a look. Our generation made a look with the bus from yeah. Seattle to LA that the rest of the world adopted. And you can see it like in advertising around the world, the slammed rat bus. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. It, well, what's funny is when I built, but it kind of form follows function and because it, they narrowed beams weren't a thing yet. And I was looking at the stuff Franklin was doing and nobody's really pushing that stuff. And when I built my bull run bus, when I did the Porsche, the twists that I have on there, my beam in my bus is the factory original beam that was in there, and it's not even narrowed. Uh-huh. But the off, yeah. but the offset of the wheels, they tuck underneath. Because I like my personal look that I love is a full fender well. I don't like a fender well all sucked in. One of the things I used to stare at on Franklin's website is he had a panel bus that had like. 10 inch oh yeah, yeah like a six inch beam yeah. <laughs> yeah i remember that i'm yeah. looking at i'm looking at this i'm like man that looks so monster that's why i've never gone like <laughs> we built some buses with inside the frame rail beams which is six inch right narrow yeah but at a certain point you're driving a trike correct you yeah. know it's like no 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 you you definitely it's want true. you want it to have a, you want it to have that exact right fill right in the wheel well because too too much of an my my two cents like like a six inch front bus narrowed beam with a four and a half inch alloy looks ridiculous to me. Like, the, like it's got to fill the wheel well. And I don't like it looking like it's on stilts or it's about to tip over. Like there's, yeah. you've got to have the, and, and I think it doesn't look healthy. Yeah. As a, as a car guy, right. Looking at a car yeah. stance is everything. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's the thing that draws you to the car. Like if the, if the wheel well, tire fitment what, is not that's right. That's what made, you know. That's what's made one of the things like one of the recipes to Wagons West is is the stance. So so we're not gonna just take like a flip spindle and be like fine with it. We're not right. fine with it. All right. We're not gonna take just like one type of part. It we'll modify it. It has to sit exactly right. So that's what I remember early on being like, Well, you can't just do one size fits all. No, because there's so there's so, so much hard yeah it's so much variety everybody's running different wheels different offsets different you know and to be able to have that adjustment that latitude to, to get it to fit so that the wheel sits correctly in the wheel arc like right in the in the center location i mean that's a that's a huge thing so i saw on on your website and we were talking about the air suspension right so we we saw yeah. a lot of people i remember i i think i was up there and i and i test drove that notch that KCW had because they 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 did the original paint job on my Gia, and uh-huh. um, when I went up there and he's like, "Yeah, drive the notch." I was like, "I wonder what's up with the air suspension." Now, I've always been leery, and I've never had a car on air yet, and I've always been leery about bags letting air out and all that kind of stuff, being trapped somewhere or whatever. And I drove it, and they had like a piece of box tubing through the torsion housing, and it was just a a, a beam, like. A fixed be a fixed torsion housing, and then a box tubing in the bottom, and it was like a single bag beam in the front. And I'm thinking, like, well, yeah. how does that how does that suspension articulate left to right? And a lot of people, the focus was, and that's where I kind of did, you know, just went with the stock beam and did the right wheel offset because I was like, I don't want like 
it's more important for me that the bus is usable and comfortable to drive than it be laying on the ground. Now, it'd be great to get the best of both worlds, but the reality is, you know, looking at looking at uh, some of these air air suspensions that were out because you had Pete really trying to push the air thing and everything was always like a like a mini truck thing right and a little bit of yeah. Pete's background Pete comes from the air cooled world or from the from the mini truck world and then he's bringing some of that mini truck flavor and he was getting blasted with like a ton of hate but he was trying to do something different which I respect that in and of itself all other things being separate but the fact that he's trying to do something different but his air suspension was more like raise and lower. And then Well, and on the bus on the bus I know like the air shocks on the shock bolt in the front, it was not that successful. Oh no, no. It's too it's too heavy and they that's what I'm saying. What starts out as like a stance thing, they want it to look cool parked, and then people start driving it, people start putting miles on it, people start loading their families in it, and people start putting weight yeah. on the bus. And it's like like a lot of people don't realize when you look at that bus, it's a three-quarter ton truck. And the early yeah. ones were one tons. The early ones were rated as a one-ton pickup. You know Absolutely, what I mean? and I use them that way. Like, yeah. no. When I started the shop, my, I had a bus, I had a 13 window that was like one inch off the ground, the yeah. beam was. And I had a nice big tuned motor, and I used to drift it. But I also would load it down with like 1,800 pounds. Yeah. I mean, and like make- go to a swami down the highway at like 85 miles an hour. Well, it is hammered out bus. And it and Just, the, the thing is they ride good when the cuz the suspension is engineered for a vehicle that big to fit people in it. You know what I mean? It's a super cool suspension. The but suspension is off the hook, dude. I mean, the way that folks like in 1964 when they switched over to the bigger link pins, the needle bearings in the beam, the Babbitt coated Babbitt it's uh, actually it was Teflon coated Babbitt bearings uh-huh. on the center pin yeah and in the kingpin bushings that front end was like probably the most expensive front end volkswagen ever produced to this day just i mean the technology just because of the amount of machining uh coordinating tolerances to make it work good and that's one of the reasons why they're hard they're expensive and now they're more worse than ever because all the part all the original german parts were worn out and all the other companies that tried to produce parts for them, they really produce substandard parts. And that's like, and, and that's our hobby. Like our hobby starts out like people doing stuff as a hobby in a in, in kind of a backyard thing. And people, a lot of us get into VWs because of lack of resources, lack of money, lower social economic scale. We want that cool factor, but we don't have the money to go. Well, yeah, buy. they're super fun. Yeah, and they're super fun. And I've always been broke. Because <laughs> yeah. honestly, to be tr- to be truthfully, or to be hundred percent honest, I don't care that much about money because I ain't gonna live forever, and money never brought happiness. Right. But but being able to use like the gifts God gave you to create and build and to have relationships, like you get all of that. Like, and sometimes it's really hard because you're dealing with a lot of different people, and you want them to buy your stuff because you want to be able to build more and do a good job and be a part of that community, but. What I've seen over the years in the Volkswagen community, this is really sad, but you have these large companies that are just basically vultures. Yeah. And they shipped everything off to China, mm-hmm. and it, and 50% of it works. I'm not going to name any names. Well, everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows what companies those were. Sure. And, and they, you know, I'm sure people have been injured. I'm sure that there's a lot of sad stories. I have stories, you know. Uh, but some products I've, I, we got in the shop. And it's mostly OEM replacement stuff. Yeah. And 
it comes in and, and we're just like Russell and, uh, and I at old speed, we've had this conversation too many times to count, but it's like, it's like, how bad can it be? Like we have to buy two twice as much of everything because we have to break half of it to know if it's even going to work. Well, and, and so, and a lot of that is like, that's the reason I do the podcast because here, here's, here's my vision, right? There's like guys like us that have been doing it for 20 plus years, right? Been in the scene, got in it because of, because of financial reasons and a, and a desire to be cool. And we could be cool in the cheap of the Volkswagen, right? So we go down that road and that, it, that turns into this world that we have. But then you get these new guys that get in it because they didn't have a bug. They're our age. They're wanting to do something cool. They get a bug and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to build it myself. Well, that's too expensive. I'm just going to order my own this and I'm going to go to this company and get that because it's 10 times cheaper and whatever. And one of the reasons I do the podcast, like I just talked to Roy with MoFoco earlier today. And MoFoco is out of Milwaukee. He casts his cylinder heads here in the U.S. His dad started casting them in the 90s because he went to Brazil and was like, hey, uh, your heads have some issues. I'd love to see you guys tweak this, this, and this and make them a better quality head or at least OEM standard. And Brazil's Brazil's like, nah, don't care. And so this guy, the American ingenuity is like, all right, I'm in Milwaukee. I'll have someone cast the head. So he goes through this whole trial and error process. But the the thing, I, the reason I do the podcast is like that American ingenuity and that homegrown like support support your local business is is important to me. And it's like I'd rather pay, you know, ten, fifteen, yeah. twenty percent more to buy something that's made in the U.S. That's made by well, people that have put their heart, soul, and effort, and they're making it for the right reasons. Well, the, the really exciting thing for me about all of that is, and I, I know exactly what you're saying, because we had this period, like our generation experienced this this period where we saw American parts made and uh, German parts. We saw, we saw like the high quality, high, um, you know, standard of living parts being made and the quality. And then we had greedy corporations that sent it all to China. Right. And we're, we're, they were, they, it's not even that it's 100% China's fault. It's that these people didn't care at all. They just wanted to give you a part with a, a box with a part that looked like what you wanted, but it wasn't actually what you wanted. And, it, and then they had your money. But now what's, what's really cool, and I'm seeing this coming over the next 20 years, but not even 20 years, 10 years, is that the manufacturing, the automation, and the AI and the robots. Yeah. Uh, are actually going to be making it so that we're going to be able to make more and more. And that's what we've done here at the shop is we've incorporated these American made CNC machines that aren't that expensive, but you can take something, design it and you can make it right here. And uh, some of the stuff that we make, we actually had queued up to made make in Taiwan. Yeah. And we had, we had set up a couple of things we were going to make in China and we have imported a few things, but what, what we notice is that anytime you get some from China, and I've talked to a lot of guys, and I've done some engineering for some of the Volkswagen suppliers because they, they have parts that need R&D, mostly all bus parts. And right. the, the stories I get from them about the amount they have to throw out is unnerving. Like it is like it gives you a nauseous feeling in your stomach. So I'm really excited to see the future and what the young kids like my kids are doing. And, and they're going to be able to – make a lot of stuff here in the States, but not with the dangers that we used to see when we were younger because of exposure, but we'll have machines that actually will cancel out that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely something that, that, that 
in my line of work, I've experienced it even as a even as a contractor. You know, in the early nine or in the early two thousands, it was like you know with the the internet making globalization so easy. All of a sudden, I had all these factories from China contacting me about granite, and I'm like, well, shoot, that's so stinking cheap. I can't even afford to go buy a slab, give it to a guy, have him cut it down, make a countertop. I can't do that for a hundred and twenty bucks. Like. Shoot, I'll just no. buy it. And then so I, I start going down the road of getting my own containers and I bring in a couple of containers. And I'm like, well, that doesn't look like the sample. My customer just denied Oh, that. my goodness. You know what I mean? It's, it's like my customer That's just. exactly what every yeah. single person it, I know that deals with that it, says. And so that doesn't I, look like the sample. Yeah. And so after I experienced that as a business owner, I had a decision to make. Like, am I, is this for the money or like, am I looking at the, at the long game on this thing? And so I just said, I would call my supplier and say, hey, look. I know I can buy it overseas and get it cheaper, and I know that. So I, I, you're worried about me shopping you. That's not my thing. I know that I'm paying more for you, but I'm the, the reason, the value I see in that is that if it's not right, you'll make it right. And if it's not, you know, if it's not where yeah. it needs to be, then we'll we'll both as as two people working in business together, we'll get it there. But yeah, the the horrors that I've had, you know, with like you looked at sample a and then you get sample b and you're like wait a second this doesn't this doesn't look anything like that and they're like yeah too bad you want more just go ahead and order, order more i'm like what you know well, what yeah I mean? so, that's been a constant battle because you know like early on starting out like but like i did this for you know i was like early on as a living i'm like not sure why it was you know, i guess it's just because i've always what i've done so i liked it right and so i started making a living and then there's over the years I've had opportunities to jump out and could go make a lot more money because of just the engineering and building sure. stuff. You know, you can make a lot of money doing that, oh, yeah. but it always was like, but I, I guess I really do love what I do. Oh, yeah. I, these cars, these are super fun. I mean, this is really cool stuff and, and the relationships and all that. But most of all, it was like the people that would like, I really feel like there was a large group of Volkswagen uh, a community that has supported like me and my family and the building of these parts. And that's what's been really neat. It's neat to go to a swap meet and, and have a conversation, and it's like your old friends and family. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's a tight knit community of, of the enthusiasts building the community. You know, yeah. There, there's, there hasn't been a lot of room for like the 800 pound gorilla that's the big corporate monster. There's a few out there, but the reality is it's almost like the, the real enthusiasts stand back and say, yeah, that's for the guys that aren't really into this. That's for the the short term VW guys. I mean, I, I met a guy recently who like he's our age, and he's like, I never had a bug. I I want I went out and got a bug, man. I bought he like he got he got fired up by buying a bug, and he went and bought a bug, and then he's this guy's just like in over his head. And I just said, right, dude, you're I more, get it all the time. Like you're more of a mini yeah. truck guy, like because <laughs> unless you're going to be resourceful, if you got to get someone on the phone every time the thing stops, Volkswagen is not for you, dude, because it's going to leave you hanging. It's going to be some of the best times in your life and probably more some of the worst. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but you just, it just takes a certain kind of person to be a VW guy. But the big corporate world out there is for those guys that want to click that, that those are the guys that walk in your shop and go, yeah, but I can buy it online for 50 bucks less. You know what I mean? And it's like, the, well, those guys had their place. Like, yeah. that, you know, there's like the large companies that were here supplying the parts was back when the car was a commuter. Right. And they were everywhere. And now it's like totally changed because 
there's not the same numbers, but the enthusiasm by the people that have them is up higher. And so I think I've seen, I've kind of felt like that you could see these companies are like, where do we belong? The big behemoths that are importing Chinese junk. Like, it should be where do they belong? See, they don't know. Yeah, it, you know? Should, it should be interesting to see what's going to happen after what's just happened recently. Because I, th- I think here's what happens. A lot of our generation, which is the working generation now, that yeah. we've got things that are connected to overseas, how we're going to maneuver. And, you know, I used to get in this discussion with people where they would complain about the, the uh, you know, stuff being expensive. And I'm like, well, if you want it made in the U.S. because of the way we live here, it's going to be a little bit more money and it's your choice and you shop with your wallet. Like the same person you see protesting Walmart is the first person to go out and buy a $200 TV on Black Friday. You know what I mean? And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, but I like that. That's a good deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just like, <laughs> well, what do you want? Like, we all need it. Like, like er- yeah, everybody's but- doing that, so we have to figure out how, how do we support each other. And the way that we do that is by getting to know the the vendors, the parts suppliers, the people in the scene a little bit better, and and saying, I'll wait two days and order it from so and so, or I'll go support my local VW supply shop here in town, and you know, pay five bucks more because of that five bucks I've eaten that up in this guy's time at the counter over here talking to him getting some advice being involved doing that stuff and and appreciating the value in that is is what you gain over time after being in the in the VW scene because the first instant I think people people look at the dollars first and well lately like around here what what I've actually been really having fun doing is is making parts that that I imagine that the, that you you see a guy walking down the strip uh, at a at a show a swap meet you know and yeah. he's like carrying a pair of wagons with spindles so like <laughs> we actually make the spindles like a couple of them so that they have a hole in them so they feel good when you're carrying them right <laughs> so like you roll up at the swap meet you're like whoa what you get there they go wagons with rocks you know. <laughs> They they have to lay out and look good just chilling at a swap spot. Nice. Well, so you know what I mean. Yeah. So so now I want to ask you a question. Getting back on suspension a little bit with the evolution from torsion to air, like what's your personal flavor? And I saw some of the drawings look like you had some like some uh, some automatic ride height adjusters integrated in some of your drawings. Yeah. Well, those are AccuAir. And, uh, and that's enco- encoders uh-huh. and then so we put in brackets to hold the encoders and that's for computerized air ride now um, what's your personal take sad, on air sad ride? side note i just heard i just heard that accurate is closing that, that's what i was going to hit you with i just saw a te- Dude, i just saw I just someone got the memo today from them yeah i'm but, like i emailed them back i was like what 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 why yeah bankruptcy like done like there's a lot of businesses and that's what i was thinking about as, as i was as i was as I saw that on the internet and I thought, shoot, AccuAir, dude, they're like one of the heavy hitters in air suspension, right? And, but I'm thinking – I mean, they're the ones that they, – they shaped the last 10 years of air management. Yeah, and so – but here's the, here's the problem and the curse, right? To be cutting edge – so this is where you're in a niche. And you're in a niche because you have enough orders and you've had enough orders where you could have hired 10 people. And then the quality of the work that you do starts to dilute because it's being other people are doing it. And then you, you are now in the business of covering payroll each week and, and you, and you want to be pushing and instead of pushing the, 
the scene with your welding and your machining and all that stuff. You're pushing the scene with the availability. Like I'm going to get more units out. And I think that's kind of yeah. how this starts and the technology just goes leaps and bounds, but it's super expensive. And when it's all said and done, the air suspension yeah. is not paying for the development and technology. I mean, think about that. I mean, we, we, we always heard when we were kids, space age technology, but the reality is it's like space age technology of microprocessors underneath your fender well in the mud, calculating the air ride at split second intervals to give you consistent air ride. And it's like, you can't go through. So, and I look at it this way because that's what's really been surprising about the slowdown in business. It's like the companies that needed, they were constantly, they, they got to a point where they're chasing their tail. Like they're doing just enough business to cover the business they're doing. Oh, yeah. It's a, you can get in a bad cycle in business for sure. And, and like three, three years ago, I had, like, it was almost like a word from on high. And it was like, you need to consolidate. Yeah. You need to shrink down. I had two buildings. I had a full crew, welding crew, and we were doing slam-based specials and beams and all this stuff. We were just pumping them out as fast as we could. And I just like was looking at the industry, and I was like, I was like, man, we. I just for my own sanity, I was like, I want to make some better stuff, some cool stuff. I don't want there to be that much quantity uh, because I don't know, man. It just so I started shrinking like three years ago. I, I consolidated down into one property, one building, mm -hmm. and, and started boosting quality and refining all my drawings. And since then, uh, I think a lot of people really noticed that. Yeah. And so I feel today getting that memo from Acura, I feel really bad because like uh, for them, oh yeah, you know, where I've hunkered, I've been able to hunker down, thank God. But they, I know they were out on a limb, with, with, and they were developing some some really cool products. And then and I think they had they probably had leverage and borrowed a little bit more than than um, than they could handle. And so yeah, it's kind of a down downer because they are one of those companies that made stuff in the United States. And I hope that they can come back from bankruptcy. Yeah, you know. Well, it's a uh, once they've turned the reins over to investors. Investors investors are all are all data and no heart and business owners are all and, heart and no data. And investors can sometimes really be listen when the you're drainer when the you're drainer of a company. When you're not connected emotionally to the business, when you're not producing things specifically, it's easy for you to flip the switch off and say, Nope, shut it down, goodbye. Like like nobody's business. And and the interesting thing will be how many more and I think the VW, the VW world may be insulated from this a little bit because it's so, it's so, you know, I, I, I say boutique, it's such a boutique industry. You know what I mean? It's very much boutique now. And, and now it's like, like our, my shop is like, I'm developing drawings, blueprints and suspend. I'm like, I'm still crunching numbers and putting stuff together and trying to make it better. And if, if there's ever something wrong, we fix it. We're just like trying to make it as good as possible. So we have a lot of data. We have a lot of stuff here, but it's funny because I'm building all of this suspension for a car. that's getting way old, right? Like it's 50, 70 years old. You know, the, the last time we got one imported to the U S was 79. I mean, well, the, so the it's ironic totally, thing, it's totally for a love of the car. That's and the, it. The, but the ironic thing is, you know, I, when I found my bus in 2000, it was a 13-window deluxe, and I thought it was like I struck gold. I'm like, it's a 13-window deluxe. And now it's like you go to you, you go to any car show, any VW event, and there's going to be a gigantic amount of buses, like so many buses that were never on the road before. That's you know right. what I mean? 
And so it's like, but there's still a limited supply. But that said, you got Bob at BBT and then all the guys in Taiwan mm-hmm. that are stamping the whole car. Yeah, but they're, also they're starting to stamp the whole car. But what I had, I had, uh, I had uh, uh, Scott Baker with uh, the guy in Ohio who's who's going to be making the buses. I had him on the podcast. Oh, he makes Broncos now, right? Well, he he he's done that in the past. makes makes a bunch of the uh, body panels, and then he that's uh-huh. he evolved it into doing the bus parts. But I also think with the scarcity of early split buses and split buses in general, is the reason that you're seeing the later model buses becoming so much more relevant. You're probably making more late model bus stuff today way more today than you were five years ago. You know what I mean? No, actually, five years ago I was cranking out. I still crank out a lot of bay window stuff, uh, no doubt. Like, that's a staple for our shop. Like, slam bay specials, I got Well, that's what I I'm got front ends on pallets and stuff like that. But the truth is I've actually seen a resurgence in my business. We build, I'm building a lot of air ad and specialty stuff for split windows. Really? Um yeah, guys are investing in those as classics. The bay window guys are are there, but there is more options now. Like there's other beam manufacturers, you know, CIP sells front ends and sure. So it used to be where we had the monopoly. There was like three guys on the west coast that had a monopoly stuff. and all that. Right. Yeah. And now look, nobody was making bay stuff. When I started making bay window stuff, everybody was like, "Who wants that?" Right. Like, who wants a bay window? And the funny part and I was like, the secret that bus guys keep to themselves is like, man, you drive a later model bus, they're way more comfortable. <laughs> it is a lot more comfortable, oh, more forgiving, and safer. I did a road trip. I bought a I bought a seventy five camper. I was at a swap meet. I was at a show in Salt Lake City, and I'm walking through the swap meet. I I had hauled two buses, my carbon cab, and I had hauled my bull run bus both up there to the show in Salt Lake. And I'm walking through with my in-laws in Salt Lake, and I'm looking at a bus, and I'm like, I see this guy's bus late. It's a it's a 75 bay camper, lowered on yeah. B- BRMs, and I'm I'm talking to the guy, and he tells me what he wants for it. I'm like, dude, that's so cheap. Like, yeah, you know what? Like, so I, I end up hammering out a deal. So I buy this turnkey driver lowered 75 camper, right, Westy, like. Never had one. My first big window bus, all that stuff, and I drove it to buses by the bridge with my wife. And I'm like, I'm not gonna lie, babe, I love the like, I love driving this bus. Well, now. Yeah, like it's so comfortable. My back wasn't hurting. I'm like, there, you know, there's the, sayings about bay windows, you know, and I'm not gonna say it because <laughs> family friendly programming, but it's the girl you don't want to be seen with, but right. she's she's the one you love. <laughs> Man, it's it's uh, it's. It's it, it, what's funny is it's just like you drive when you drive a bench window or a bench bench seat barn door and then you get into a sixty seven. Like I love driving my sixty seven versus my sixty two, so I now have mm-hmm. to go into my sixty two my crew cab and I've got to cut the seats down, make them way lower. And I'm just I don't even have it tubbed yet. And it's like I just the seat is so puffy, so big. You're so close to the steering wheel, and my sixty seven's a thinner seat, slides back. It's like. Volkswagen had that technology where everything was about driver comfort, more amenities, more more pleasure in the driving experience. But that's the dirty secret bus guys have, man, is like the bay windows are super nice to drive, man. And the, it's like the later they, the better, you know. They are, but there's there's nothing like nothing uh, cooler than a split, man. Like I mean, nah, there's nothing cooler, man. I mean, it's 
the dirty lawn chair flying down the freeway. <laughs> That's it, man. So what do you think about that and how's that going to affect your business with it, with AccuAir going out of business? I mean, do you do a bunch of stuff with AccuAir or? I I'm mean, sitting here looking at like three air management systems that I'm shipping out with AirRide here in the next week. So, and I'm like, where am I going to get more? So obviously yeah. there's there's a tech there's a technology there's going to be a technology vacuum there for a minute because a lot of stuff that they had it's a different level. Well, somebody's going to buy. Somebody's going to buy their hard work because they do have some value there. Actually, interestingly yeah. enough, and I'll get it, and I'll send it to you in a text message. There's a guy here in Las Vegas, an Australian guy, that was making an air management system. That was all uh-huh. computer controlled, all the stuff, and he's been doing it. But he, you know, it's like he was competing against the big behemoth Accuair. How do you compete against that guy? But he had the same technology. Yeah, yeah and- there's a few companies that have been. I think that's probably too been eating into Accuair's profits. Is the smaller companies that are coming along? Yeah, because they were they were ahead. You know, it's like GoPro. They were ahead, uh, and then all these other cameras came out. Yeah, so they have to keep innovating and and stuff like that. So the the for for you personally, uh, air susp- what, what do you love? You love air suspension. You love static. What what's your what's your favorite? Your ideal uh, your ideal I, suspension. I like them us. all. I like them all. I like anything anything that's designed well uh, for its purpose. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Like I have it on my barn door deluxe. It, I've been building for a long time. It's all hammered out and bagged with like some super, like one of only three air ride suspensions that I've built with extreme dimensions. Yeah. And, and it's super fun. Like that's cool. The switch is, it's mechanical and stuff, but the static system, if you build a good static system, it's just as rewarding uh, as long as it's designed well. Yeah. And then, you know, even the hydraulics, uh, you have uh, uh, a fellow, I think he's in Florida. Uh, he's pretty red. Uh, builder and he's building uh, hydraulic uh damon motorsports i think yeah and he's building hydraulic units that move the center of the torsion and and that's a little bit more it's a little different style than what i've always been about but uh appreciate that too for good design you know so anything that's designed and made well like, you know, even the eyeball engineering with their a-arms from type one and some of that mendiola stuff you know yeah. you can see really I'll, I'll tell you a fu- I'll tell you a funny story. When I was I was up at uh, Madera or somewhere in mid California, right? And I saw mm-hmm. the guy with eyeball engineering. He had his bug on display, or it wasn't his bug. It was the red bug that had the eyeball front suspension, not the air front suspension. And so I said to him, "Man, you should make those and sell those." Because the guy kind of built it out of his garage and all stuff. And then he said one thing that a friend of mine used to always say, like, "Oh no, the liability is way too expensive." Blah 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 blah. So I said to him. Well, what would it cost me to buy the buy the rights to remanufacture that, and I'll take the liability? And then, yeah. like a year later, he started selling the front ends because I was just like, "Look, I see value in in something like that. And if you don't want to take the risk, that's what insurance is for. And if it's made right, it's made right. But you know, a lot of people sometimes get super scared of the liability and whatnot. But the reality is, when you're making a part, and if it's made right, and we're we're not talking about these aren't six thousand pound Cadillacs rolling down the street. You know what I mean? Like. You've got to have good build quality, which the the industry kind of struggles with because, like you said, you started your business with an angle grinder and a welder and some basic stuff like that, and now you've got quite quite a technological right. But you know, even shop. even at that point, I had been welding for ten years plus, or you know, like almost ten years when I first made my first like lowered Volkswagen part. So it. You have to you have to use a design stand you know industry standards 
you know, in your sure. building and you can't, you don't want anything that's going to, uh, have issues. And, and I, what I found is most, most, uh, stuff built here in the States by shops that are in the industry, like they, they make decent stuff. It's the guys that copy everybody. And there is a guy down in, uh, San Diego, Hesperia, New Mexico. And I won't say his name, but he copied everybody he copied russell's and my stuff but then he did it poorly and we saw stuff breaking all the time he's got everybody's stuff for half off he's ripped everybody <laughs> off and undercut everybody and then I'll sell, i spent i'll sell your technology for 50 percent less i mean never you mind the weld quality or understanding metallurgy or any of that stuff we're just or understanding <laughs> even why we put something somewhere this is why i'm so against copying Right. Other people's stuff and reverse engineering is because a lot is lost in translation. Yeah. And when you're sitting there trying to reverse engineer somebody's part and not quite understanding why they put a certain thing in that spot, then you can run into trouble. And so it's just it's just unbecoming of a of a good neighbor to be just copying everybody's parts. But we've seen that a lot. And um, it's kind of a common thing that happens in the in, in the VW scene. You know, you'll get. Uh, even in the seventies, like a parts, a parts shop will just show up and it's like, it's the cool thing to do. Everybody's making money doing it. Let's jump on that. So everybody's ideas and copy it and remake it. And after a while that that's not a long-term play. You know what I mean? It's and really funny when you see the part, when you see the original part from the sixties, right? And then you see the part that came off the Chinese assembly line, uh, you know, like a year oh, yeah. ago oh, yeah. and you compare the two and you're like, it's not even the same part. You can see like, it's been copied like eight times in eight different factories. <laughs> it looks like a, it's like, it looks like a copy of a copy through a copy machine. That's 50 years old. You know? It's <laughs> not what you actually wanted. It's an illusion. Yeah. I mean, it's, these companies are literally selling us illusions of what we thought we wanted. We, it, it looks like what we wanted, but when we go to use it, it's not what we wanted. And so that's what, you know, it's good to encourage craftsmen and it's like the eyeball, like you said, and, uh, yeah. and, Mandula, and all the and different guys and John at, uh, grumpies. I mean, that guy has been a huge inspiration to me. He's like the same age as us, similar. And he obviously is a Volkswagen kid and he'd popping out those deluxe windows before anybody. Right. And ragtop mechanisms. Same and that need. stuff was like hen's teeth. You couldn't yeah. get it. And coming up with the technology yeah. to do it in an existing bus, be, be, like to be able to do a mass-produced type thing, but take it down to like a boutique level, you know? And, yeah, and it's wonderful, you know. And and I I, I, I want to see the whole country do it, like yeah. in every arena. Like if you're a, you like scooting, you know, riding a sure a razor scooter or something. Like I love it when I see people like innovating and, and taking charge and, and and making a difference. It's, it's really cool. Like. Like, you know, we're talking about electric cars with Tesla. I think the best thing about Tesla is that they're manufacturing automobiles on the West Coast. In California. Yeah. And and that creates a whole nother level of because now that there's wrecked Teslas on the road, now the hot rod guys like (laughs) Jay and guys like that can get parts from them and start modding that stuff and merging the technologies. Yeah, I think every single battery from a wrecked Tesla needs to be it needs to be priority one is to recommission. And so talking about technology, your shop has really kicked it up over the past few years in respect to technology. Um, talk about some of that, some of the stuff that's in your shop, because instead of just being a guy with an angle grinder and a welder anymore, I mean, you've got a pretty cutting edge shop, not to mention the design work and detail work that you do, which you could easily just farm out to a machine shop, but you've brought a yeah. lot of that work. Well, I love, mach- I love machining. I love machining and I love, uh, computing 
like the fact that we can use we have computers that will do math that we could never dream of doing right um like it, some of these programs when it would make a part it would take me it would take me like light it would take me years mm-hmm. to draw the to write the program out by hand shorthand or whatever sure longhand and so we use machines to do it and then the cool thing is like once all that data is input is stored as long as it's redundantly backed up then you have it and you have it for anybody to use you know so like maybe eventually and i thought about like well when i'm done and retired what am i going to do and one of the options that i've talked to my wife about is that we publish everything we ever made on the internet yeah so that so that the hobby guy could take a wagon's west tried and true front end all how it's made and actually make it in his own garage and weld print weld print it in the garage by that time 20 years from now they'll have weld absolutely yeah 20 years you'll be able to 3d print and and we play with 3d printers here too i saw that um yeah and that's fun but it's really still a hobby industry sure it doesn't it won't actually produce anything great unless you have really high-end printers and then they take forever to make stuff and then you still have to center you know cook them bake them and all that so it's just not prime time yet on that but well, it 20 will years, be 20 give it 20 years but i saw the year so so talk to me about the the five access because once you decided on a five access this is like you're committed to this hobby period uh, i like, don't run a i don't run a five axis what i saw a huge piece of machinery in your in your picture oh uh, five axes well big a big machine a, a big enclosed. yeah i run a i run a a haas a big bore lathe i got a haas smaller lathe um and then i have some cnc mills yeah five axes yeah i mean i've done some indexing and stuff but i i don't do a lot of five axes that's going to be more like we can do that to speed up production or we can do that for three-dimensional objects that right. are like like highly contoured Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to make impellers, propellers, turbines, and stuff like that, that would be just super good. That would be perfect. But I have actually really wanted to invest in a five-axis, uh, but the price is really high on them for really good ones. Well, the looks and, it doesn't look like you have cheap machinery in your shop. You know, I mean, uh, I'm looking you at know, the, it's not the, <laughs> the CNC mill that that's in there, and it looks they're not that expensive. Yeah. Um, well, that's all relative until they're fully geared up. <laughs> Once they once you tool them up, then they're, then that's where the cost really comes in, because you know, you'll be sitting on thousands of dollars worth of carbide, yeah, just to do all your different jobs. But you know, it's funny. Uh, what's really cool, and I think a lot of people, I wish, you know, young guys and gals that are uh, interested in uh, doing stuff on their own, making things, uh, producing stuff, manufacturing. You know, I think that's actually on people's minds a lot lately, and. Uh, companies like Haas out of Oxnard, California, building these CNC machines. Gene Haas, you know, he started with indexers in the 80s and used the technology, grew the company, and he, I mean, he, he, he copied Fidel and their machines, but he did a great job. And he's made a lot of really cool machines, and they're actually really affordable, and you can buy them used and repair them or stuff like that. When I started with the technology in that regard, uh, I really started going during the last recession is when I actually started buying old CNC machines that ran on antiquated technology and were just, they didn't even turn on. Right. And so I started gutting those machines. I bought them at scrap prices, gutted them. And I started doing Dell, you know, putting Dell computers in them and making my own controllers. Yeah. 
Well, so that's, then, that, that's but, pretty, listen, that's where I, I own a water jet for my business and we have uh-huh. controllers on the water jet and those are like radically complicated parts, just the controllers, the geo bricks and stuff like that. And they are not, um, you've got to have some brains to, to be able to build a controller. <laughs> the, mean, well, the technology is out there. Right. It's, the CNC, CNC technology has been, um, it's been in the job shop, the small shops since the late seventies. Right. And so, but what happened, uh, with, with Microsoft and, and the windows machines, basically, uh, with that whole dawn of the PC, you know, so you got Wozniak and, um, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs creating Apple, and then all you got the home PC front and the hackers. And so there's a, like, over the last 20 years, there's been like this just onslaught of electronics chips that you can buy that do jobs. So, like, all, I mean, it, at its core level, all you have to do is pull power from the printer port on the old computers. Now yeah. you can do synth- synthetic uh, type ports through USB, you know, or you emulate. Uh, the step drive signals in a different way, but the then you kind of divide the kernel. But <laughs> running running out of the PC and running into controller, they just it's just a, you know pieces of electronic chipboards that send out a signal to right. a motor driver, and it, it's, it's just, just an electronic pulse. It's just an electronic pulse. It's, but it's super simple, really. It, oh, yeah, to you, but to the to the average listener of the podcast, they're just kind of like, I mean. If it's your world, it's easy, but that's pretty impressive. But it it it's a testament to the resourcefulness of the VW guy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Well, if you don't have it, if you don't have it, you ain't got no money. You know what I'm saying? And it's How like you, gonna get it? you can't afford a half million dollar piece of a, a machining equipment, so you go buy one that they're selling for junk, and you're like, I can make it work. Let me just change. It's like the computer's antiquated. Let me change the computer, and there's a way to make this control that. And it's like, you know. With the technology, out of the technology, you can take a piece of equipment that was being sold for scrap and actually turn it into a functioning piece of machinery. You know, what's funny is when I was back buying it, when I was building my first CNC machines, so I built the first CNC machines and made the first parts on those, and then I had to had to make more parts. So then I started buying factory-built machines from Haas because I, I didn't have time to do that. I love retrofitting and building an old machine. It's actually really fun. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of takes a lot of concentration. But what was really weird is during that time when I was buying those machines, I was competing. I was like, I and I only bought you know a handful, but I had to compete with China. The China was buying the machines. Really? During our last recession, they were buying the uh, our old CNC machines and scrapping the machine, but keeping a lot of the controls. Really? And they were making their own new machines, but yet using the controls that. I had heard of this a few times. It's, it's kind of interesting, but these are like natural resources almost. Like if you get a young, uh, young person, uh, a piece of equipment and teach them how to use it, you know, it's like teaching somebody how to fish. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it, it's that, it's that resourcefulness of the VW guy that like is not letting the broken clutch cable ruin the rest of his day. Like he's going to drive it home and make it work. And it's the same thing with, you yeah, know, we're going like, to save the universe with this. Yeah, it's like it's like a, it's a common thread through things. So let's fix it. Let's yeah. fix it. Let's use it. Let's not waste it. You know. No, man. It's uh, listen. I think you're doing you're doing an awesome deal out there, man. And and you know you've made a a really great name for yourself in the industry. And and it's not always easy. 
you know no it's not but you know like a lot of this i'm so thankful for the dedicated people that have i really feel like we've been supported here yeah and and so that and we try to like come through with everything if it leaves the shop man it better work and so yeah like you know yeah. knock on wood uh mostly i just pray about every day man to get up again and take another breath and fire up the machines well being thankful you know you know being thankful for what what you're able to do and then to give back your talent man that's something that's something to be respected and the reality is if you're i mean there's there's guys in the industry that do that you're one russell's one a lot of guys are out there giving their blood sweat and tears and the podcast helps bring attention to guys like you in the scene and that people should take the opportunity to support when they can. You know what I mean? Because that's what makes that's what makes this hobby so fulfilling is that it, it started grassroots and it, and it's no there's no other hobby I believe that's as grassroots as the VW hobby. You know what I mean? The it's it's the yeah. hobby run by the enthusiasts, you know. It's a really it's a neat deal. It's Americana and <laughs> you know, it has its time. Like it 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 it's ha- it's it's a it's a neat thing you have to savor it you have to enjoy it while it's there yeah uh, the world is a fast moving place um you know so if you got a volkswagen you got a bug you got a bus you know where one is um man enjoy working on it because it's really honestly you know we think while we're building the car that it's it's going to be this great thing when it's all done but what i've learned is it's actually the trek from getting it out of the bushes or getting it from your friend to taking it apart, to having your buddies check it out, you know, yeah. to having your wife go, you're never going to get this running. Right. And then to have her go, Hey, it's not too bad. It drives pretty good. You know, it's just, it's that is a journey. And I hate to say the word journey cause I hate that word, right. but <laughs> it, it, it really is the time that you spend working on it. Not as much the time just owning it and driving it, you know? Yeah. It's the, pro- it's the process. I call it, you know, for me, it's the thrill of the hunt. Like, it's the fun part of the discovery, of the chase, of the pursuing the dream. And then when you're done, you look back at, I mean, the VW industry has afforded me so many friends and relationships just from being in this scene. I've got friends that I'm really close to that the only way that we cross paths was through Volkswagens. And that's how we met. And it's one of those things that's like, I, I, I have people like that in, in two sets of my life, like people of faith that I know are, are good people. And then I know that they're, they're people of integrity that I know that I could rely on. And then I have a yeah. lot of people like that, that are VW people in my life that are like people I've met through the hobby that are genuine and true. And just like in any circle, they'll show themselves relatively quick as to who they are. You know what I mean? And we, right. we talked earlier a little bit about Chris that you, you know, you, you met Chris with small car and, and forge your relationship yeah. with him. And, and it's just like, there's people in the VW scene that you meet that are just really good, genuine people and they're, and they're doing things for the right reasons. You know what I mean? And, and it's not, it's, it's less about getting rich and more about being able to contribute. Well, yeah. Cause it's like a, it, it's always been a slow track to wherever you're going in an old bus. Yeah. You know, like as a kid in a bus, you would spend a certain amount of your time broken down yeah, that's and, and you would be relying on strangers, Yeah. you know, and you're like, I'm out of gas. I'm, I caught on fire. You know, uh, my clutch cable broke. 
uh, I need a push. And, and you remember like back in the day, like you would see like the, the phone, you got pay phones, you got phones on the side of the road for the highway uh, division. And you'd have these emergency things, you know, and, and we've kind of lost that now, you know, everything's really impersonal and somebody like their car breaks, they just sit in the car on their cell phone and nobody talks to them. But back when we were kids in these Volkswagens, we, you know, everybody's pushing you around and they, yeah. it, it's, so when you see those people, like I, I meet that generation, like my dad's generation and the people that grew up, you know, just right before us and, and us to a certain degree. But like, if you break down in a Volkswagen to this day, <laughs> people pull over and you help you. They pull over. <laughs> but if you're, if you're in a Honda, they're like, I, I probably, it's probably not friendly. Yeah. You're out of, you you're, you're out of gas. Got a cell phone. You're out of gas in that Honda or Toyota on the side of the road, unless it's like an old school mini truck or something like that, where where it's kind of a it's it's kind of a symbol for who you are, which is what a lot of our cars mean for us. It's like an outward expression of who we are inside, and that's right. the, the beauty of the hobby because there's so many different layers to the style. I enjoy the hobby. That's I had somebody tell me something the other day, like, "Well, yeah, well, what do you do that stupid podcast? How much money do you make in the podcast?" I'm like, "It's not about making money on the podcast, man. It's about it's about sharing the experience with other people and bringing bringing this conversation that two guys are having about a passion that we have and our philosophies on the scene and all this kind of stuff. And somebody's able to enjoy it and listen to it in their garage and either agree or disagree, but be able to be along for the ride." No, it's, it, yeah, it's, there's a way of looking at, there's a way of looking at things is I guess what I'm saying about that. Like the guys, you know, the, the whole thing was about, you got If you see a guy in a Volkswagen, he's got a couple extra minutes. He does. To talk it, to you. He's got a minute. Talk to him. There was a plan. Yeah. He knew like, listen, I got to add in an extra 30 minutes on my drive. Cause you never know what could happen. But I got guys that still come into my shop from here, from the, from the Pacific Northwest. And then from down, even some guys will roll their bus up from, Southern California and stuff every once in a while, but you know, like guys, they come in and they're like, they got time to let the car cool. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Got, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let it cool. We're gonna check my valves. You know. Back to Wagons West. What what do you see the future of Wagons West being as far as innovation and and technology and, and some things you'd like to pursue or that you're currently working on? Well, I have the complete split window chassis pretty much drawn and. So I can build new chassis. I've debated on making a, a, just for fun, a a complete chassis with suspension that has battery packs and electric motor. Really? Then you could like, so then you could build the bus because they're stamping all that metal over in Taiwan. You could just build the whole bus and it's electric. I thought about that for a little bit and we could certainly do something like that. Um, Mostly I think I'm just going to continue to, to make good parts for those guys that are calling me and gals that are calling me for like custom builds and stuff like that and just try to be a supplier. And I, and I have a lot of brakes that like we maintain uh, for a couple different fleet cars, even that like we have a taxi in San Francisco and he buys, they buy re- replacement brakes and a couple other places around the world. So I'm not really sure what the future holds exactly. It's the future. Well, I, I tell you that w- with what it looks like, the stuff, the the stuff you're machining and and the technology that you're trying to put into this, it looks like it's it's constantly evolving into something different, little by little. But albeit every year or two, you look back and things are quite a bit different. What you're doing today than what you were doing, you know? Yeah, it just ago. depends on it depends on where we're at in vehicles in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've had a couple people that wanted to take over and continue and they're in the Volkswagen industry, you know, and so not, you know, it's not, it's, it's hard to say, man, the future is, but you know, I have a lot of fun building the stuff. And so eventually the goal is, like I said, is having this stuff available, the data that we put together, the drawings and, and just the measurements and, and how everything works somehow want to make it available so people can access it. No, Not sure how. No, that's good, man. Well, well, I listen, I've appreciated having you on the podcast and getting a chance to talk to you and I'm sure we'll get you on again and, uh, maybe get a little more in depth on some of the, some of, some of your philosophies. Cause you know, I'd love to, I, I, I love to get your philosophy on some of the suspension stuff. Like what, what to you, what do you, do you like, for example, what do you see as the biggest disservice in the suspension game that you see happening now that, that you've worked into your product that you guys don't have those issues? Like, what do you see as one of the big things that consumers need to be cautious of when they're out there just looking at, like thinking it's just everybody's beam is the same. Everybody's, everything is the same. Yeah. Well, there's a sheer, there's a couple of shops that build suspension for buses that they have a total disregard for safety. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. All you have to do is search the internet, uh, Samba, feedback forums, stuff like that, and you will see people that could have lost their lives. And and and, uh, and to be honest, and I hate to say it, is that there might actually be some people that were really injured. Yeah, and that's... because because of people's disregard for uh, other people, and and they just want to sell stuff, and they just want to like have an image. Um, and they don't care at what cost. And so they haven't taken the time to really test things out and, and to make sure they work. And, and that's one of the things that Russell and I have spent many hours talking about is why, why do we do it a certain way? And right. what's the, what is the way that we should do it? What standards should we hold? Um, because you know, mistakes happen, things break. And this is an industry where we do run a risk because we modify everything yeah. uh, on our car. But to what standard do we hold, and who's who's the one that's leaving, who's leaving behind like the, I guess the instructions. Yeah. You know, and how did we get there? They're constantly asking, like, why are we doing it like this, and and is that the right way to do it? Um, and just mostly just trying to craft something. Lately, I've been putting, uh, trying to engrave our name into everything almost. Yeah, I see the the breaks. The, the brakes that you're doing, like this this big, huge aluminum hub that you're looking at. Well, yeah. What, like, what's the story behind the brakes? Well, the brakes sucked. Yeah. They almost all did. Not really. CSPs were pretty good. There's a few other companies that did some okay stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, like, you need a car rotor. And so we we wanted to make a way that you could use uh, OEM factory type rotors that are cast and double layered with the venting mm -hmm. because that's what makes your brakes work really good is that specific type of ductile iron that's cast with the temperature dispersion and it also doesn't squeal. It's similar to how a CNC machine is made out of a cast body of steel rather than a welded body because the welded body sends harmonics. And when you use like single piece steel rotors uh you just the using the the original car brakes so we design everything i kind of try i try not to reinvent the wheel 
Right. Because that was done a that was done a hundred years ago and redone the whole time during that hundred year period. And so like my rotors, I mostly use Porsche rotors and I use some Ford rotors, but I use OEM stuff that's proven rather than trying to make like sand rail brakes. And like some know? of the some of the stuff coming from China was just like just hot garbage. You're like, yeah, make it out of steel, do this, and it's just like garbage brakes and garbage parts and pieces and people Unless you own the factory. Right. And you control what goes in and out of the factory. Uh, and and the thing is, is companies will say they own the factory in China, and the Chinese will actually put your name on the factory, but you don't own it. <laughs> they got this like, it's, Velcroed sign up on the front, like, "Oh, take a picture now." <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly, they do that, yeah. and it's fake. So a lot of that stuff is like, even it, it'll like I've seen it over the years. It comes in and it like it looks almost exactly like what you wanted, but in all reality, it's absolutely nothing. It's not the same thing you wanted. You know, it's 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 a fake. Yeah. And so, yeah, trying to stay away from that. Like companies went, there is some good stuff that comes from Asia. Like they are so capable and that's what is so sad that they don't, they don't go all the way, you know, and I think yeah. that has to do with a lot with American importers. Well, it has to do with the drive for profit. Like, yeah, we need to do we profit. Need to, we need to get that. Cause the stuff that's like some of the stuff vintage speed is doing out of Taiwan, man, that some of that, some of that stainless stuff that they're doing is pretty good, pretty good quality. You know, I, I like well, the Taiwanese, the Taiwanese are the japanese of 20 years ago or yeah. 15 years ago i mean like the they're, their stuff they're making is insane it's really good yeah and it actually it actually is taiwan like here in the united states like our industry like they have a lot of foundries we don't have yeah they took they, they, they took what we used to do and they did a little bit better because we just got too good for it i guess i don't know you know what i mean well it, it, a lot of countries have pulled themselves up uh, using industrial revolution. Yeah. And that that actually is ending now because, like I told you earlier about the robotics and the AI and the manufacturing capabilities of computers and stuff like that is yeah. slowly putting the curb on a country's ability. So, like, China is going to be one of the last countries that's really able to pull itself up yeah. into a world superpower, you know. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of layers to it, man. Well, it is. It's it's, it's <laughs> dense. That's for sure. Well, Nate, man, I definitely applaud what you're doing. I know my my brother's a huge fan of your stuff, and my carbon cab's got a Nate's uh, got got a Wagons West Beam on it, and uh, you know we're uh, we're definitely. Uh, I like having you on the podcast get to put a, a kind of a story to the name and and get to know you a little bit more. And uh, man, I. I appreciate you for coming on. Anybody you want to give any thanks to that's helped you kind of get where you've gotten today? Oh yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's there's quite a few people. Like you said, Chris uh, at Small Car, he was real nice to me with with suspension over the years and supplying me with parts. Russell at Old Speed has been like invaluable. Like the the amount of uh, stuff that we've bounced off each other over the years when it comes to just building cars. Uh, it's it's been really good um then you know there's just a lot of guys out there that like all contributed to where we're at now uh even franklin you know like honestly him and i like we're kind of like oh it's franklin you know right and then he's like oh it's nate you know but even him like i see him i really appreciate seeing him i like him you know he's yeah. He's a Volkswagen guy, right? Like through and through. So. That's it, man. They're every, everybody's everybody's part of the scene, you know. 
and, uh, and and that's one of the things that that we try to do here is get everybody to get to know a little more about the story behind everybody. Because I think once we get to know everybody's story, there's a lot of similarities in our stories that that kind of create the oh, fabric. a lot of paths that yeah. cross a, a, a lot of a lot of the fabric of who we are. You know, you know who I really got to send out probably the biggest shout out to is going to be Everett Barnes. Right, I've been hounding Everett. Everett to get on the podcast, man. I'm like Everett, you're coming on the podcast, and he's 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 a low key, laid back, quiet kind of dude. But without what he did, I mean, it's a, it's a massive community the Samba created. You know, he's like, dude, he he could kick Mark Zuckerberg's career, <laughs> right? Like straight, just that Samba is. You know, nothing else ever like it in the history of the world. And uh, I wouldn't even have – Wagons West wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for Everett Barnes. In fact, I named my son Everett. Yeah. <laughs> Not actually wild. after Everett Barnes. Right, right. It's just because <laughs> – because the name is actually really cool, and there wasn't not a lot of people named Everett. It's old man's name, but that guy, yeah, for sure. He he, uh, and then there's just so many contributors, man. All the people on there that put all the data and information in. Like, if you need to know a color, or you got to know a technical thing. Um, oh yeah, just hundreds. There's just hundreds and thousands of people that really have seen do great things over the years that with Bobby. Hugely benefited from that platform where we all. That your we brother all, George. Yeah. Your brother George has supported me for years. <laughs> Yeah, George is a big fan. You know? Yeah. Gosh, I'll bet you there's some times because like, I've I've actually I have three kids, you know, and I just support my family and and I do what I love to do, and and I know for a fact there's been times where I'm like, man, I sure could use an order, and George calls me, you know, <laughs> I gotta like some air ride or I gotta slam this thing and yeah, you know, yeah, no, Vegas man. guys they get they get down with a. Listen, nice Vegas for 25 years, we've been fighting to, to, to be included in part of the scene, and, we, and we've put a dent in it. So the people, Vegas is known for some VW stuff, and hopefully if all goes well, this October we'll have that huge VW event here, and everybody can fly yeah. down to Vegas and enjoy in some monster VW weekend. So hopefully uh, oh, this, yeah. th- this thing that's this craziness right now gets behind us, and we're able to move forward into this event and bring a huge part of the community all down here to vegas man so that's what we're hoping yeah for. that'd be awesome well nate it's been awesome man i appreciate you coming on the podcast and for sure man we'll have to do this again anytime yeah that'd be great and uh just keep it up i just uh yeah hopefully uh if we get through this uh coronavirus thing and um can get back out to uh doing what we love and it's uh that's driving it. our cars around that's it well cool nate i appreciate you coming on man and we'll and we'll catch you next time if you guys like that podcast make sure you share the podcast with your friends you go on our facebook page you like it you follow us on instagram and also go subscribe to our youtube uh, channel so that you can stay up with the giveaway bug that'll be happening this year to support the podcast go to letstalkdubs.com go to the store and pick up some merch until next week guys later